Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 Podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Getting to the end of the year, and as is tradition, we've done it two years in a row now, so we can have a bit of an easy time towards the end of it all. We're doing a recap of 2023, when we're going to rush through all the comics and stories that we did this year and see if we have anything else to add to them at this distance. So how's it been for you this year then, Peter? It's been a fantastic year for the Earth 2 podcast, but let's kick off, not with this year, but the very last day of last year. At Hogmanay 2022, yes, 31st of December to non-Scots, we did a surprise episode for our listeners, The Lord of Batmaner, in which Batman inherits a Scottish castle. Yes, an exciting story from issue 198 of Detective Comics, which had some amazing panels with Robin learning to play the bagpipes and Batman investigating underwater while still wearing his kilt. Yes. Because obviously in Scotland, um, we wear our kilts all the time. I'm wearing my kilt right now. doesn't matter what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That, of course, was our first big experiment into doing the more broad audio adaptation slash dramatisation with uh, a full cast and sound effects. Full yes. cast, including past guests Gavin Ritza, Christine Panton, Steve Higgins. But we also had our friends Max and Rich from the Weed Warriors podcast. Kenny Smith from the Eighth Doctor podcast, Pieces of Eighth and Power of Three. And also Tom Harris from Tom Harris the Imposter podcast. And, of course, occasionally Tom still contributes to Power of Three, depending on which way the wind's blowing. He does God indeed. bless him, I don't think he'd mm. mind me saying that. Yeah, because obviously previously we'd had Steve on in the past. He'd done Jimmy Olsen for us yes. on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. And our, was it our 100th episode we did? Yep. Yeah. Planet of the Capes, that yep. was the 100th, yeah. He joined us for that one. That took some arranging, but it was fun. I remember we talked about doing that one long, long in advance, and we recorded yeah. it way, way in advance during oh, the summer, God, didn't yeah. we? In the studio. Mm-hmm. We were in the studio for that yes. one. Thank you, Gavin, for arranging yes. that for us. And we threw that out as a, as a little surprise holiday special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Steve's Commissioner Gordon has influenced my Commissioner Gordon ever since. <laughs> and it was just, yeah, it was just good to kind of get Max and Rich involved. And this obviously sowed the seeds for mm-hmm. our more ambitious episodes yeah. during the summer. And obviously there we're referring mainly to the Seven Soldiers story, mm-hmm. which came out in the summer. But we started talking about those very soon after we released the Batman episode. We did, yes. Because as I mentioned in the podcast, I got Arian to record his lines as Adam Strange in February <laughs> of 2023. And that was after having mentioned it to him a couple of times already. Uh-huh. So we must have, we did start talking about it very, very early on mm-hmm. because we thought that the Batman one turned out very well. And it was a lot of fun getting to do comedy Scottish accents and having Batman yeah. fight the Loch Ness Monster and, and all that. Mm-hmm. See, so yeah, our first proper episode this year then was Brave and the Bold 96, Batman and Sergeant Rock, the Striped Pants War. Striped Pants War, which apparently refers to diplomats, yes, we as we discovered. We didn't know what that meant at all. Neither mm-hmm. of us Googled it in advance, and a few people, I think Mr. Shufo was one of them, a few people jumped in and shouted at us and told us what they meant. Mm-hmm. Very interesting story, the second Sergeant Rock story that we'd done, and immediately uh, contrary <laughs> elements for the previous yes. Sergeant Rock story that we'd done. So this is why, why we're going to do the Batman Brave and Bold Sergeant Rock stories, because you know, which earth was Sergeant Rock on? Mm-hmm. It, cha- it seems to change every time It does. we do a story with him. That was an yeah. interesting one, though. Bob Haney likes to get Batman out of Gotham City and into other places. 
Yeah, he had a, that big scene where he was like clinging to the top of the van, being driven yes. about the place, hiding. It was really yeah. quite interesting. It's a bit different. Bruce Wayne drawn to look very much like George Lazenby, to my memory. Yes, it had a uh-huh. touch of the James Bonds to it in some ways. But there was yeah all sorts of politics and an air of the the modern thriller, or at least the modern early seventies thriller. True, true. To yes. it, uh-huh. yeah, it was a lot of fun that one. So it's quite a lot of breathing the bolds that we're going to be doing mm-hmm. in the early seventies period. So. And we did quite a few quite close together at the start of last year. I seem to remember. Mm-hmm. The next one after that was... The Return of Sargon the Sorcerer. Absolutely. Issue 207 of The Flash. The Evil Sound of Music. Which was an interesting story. Some really nice art in it from of Novik and lots of little references to, to Beatles songs and some of the, the dialogue, which really amused me, I remember. Yeah, and uh, we find out Sargon's niece is, is the singer in Washington Starship. Yes. The Earth One version, perhaps, of Jefferson Airplane. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Obviously, Sargon would return again, but we'll come to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. It was interesting that we sort of charted this development of Sargon across yes. the two Flash stories that he was mm-hmm. in, and then the Just League story, and how we'll find out in a couple of years, probably, when we get there, how this was ignored Sargon by subsequent writers. And, of course, Sargon the Sorcerer, if he has a niece on Earth-1, that means he's pretty much from Earth-1, you That's would think. true. You would think. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's that's very true. More developments than that later. Nothing, nothing that was said at any point to indicate that he'd arrived from Earth-2, yeah. No. So we were back in the, the pages of Brave and the Bold mm-hmm. for the next issue for the, the second appearance of the Earthborn Wildcat. The smile of Chocolatan. No two ways about it. If you've got a contemporary Batman, a contemporary Earth headlining in B&B, then, and there's nothing said about Wildcat shifting over from Earth 2 at any point, then mm-hmm. that's it. It was the Wildcat of Earth 1. Bob Haney likes his Mexican bandits. They appear in several Bob Haney yes. stories. <laughs> that we've done. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I really like this story. This was a this one... Pete puts the panels from the relevant stories up onto the Facebook and the album, and I operate the Instagram, and sometimes we put up the same ones and sometimes we don't. Mm. And I remember being absolutely spoiled for choice yeah. for images for this one. The same with all the, the Brave and Bolds that we did this year, really difficult to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. But there's some great stuff. And I'm, a story with an amnesiac Ted Grant, yeah. who eventually gets his mojo back and all sorts of stuff, and lots of death and violence and underwater cat statues and giant footprints. And it's very cool. A cover that doesn't really tie into what's really going on. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens an awful lot. Yeah, it's fun that one. Mm-hmm. Then we go on to our first JLA-JSA crossover of the year, Earth the Monster Maker. Mm. 91 and 92 are JLA. The, the only story they did where the, basically the counterpart contemporary heroes all teamed up with each other. So, yeah. you know, both Supermen, both Robins, both Flashes, mm-hmm. both JLs, Hawkmans, Atoms, etc. And Solomon Grundy came back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an interesting one. A little uneven, I remember thinking. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was the, the missing alien boy and everything like uh-huh. that. It was, that aspect of it was quite horrible and creepy. The fact that that's, that's what it was, is the big threat was basically this panicked little child. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember my empathy buttons kind of going off a little bit because yeah. you know no one seemed to take any time to actually calm the heck down and figure out what was going on and mm-hmm. make sure the child was okay. And there were even more references to Solomon Grundy being called Man Thing in this as well. That's right. <laughs> Always a law. You're just hilarious, yes. Always a law. Uh-huh. That was one that I remember I managed to find quite a few pages of original art scavenged off the web to, to post on the socials. That was quite a good one. And mm-hmm. a couple of, did I manage? Yeah, I think I managed to find a couple of foreign covers. Some of have continued to do. My my pep obsession for the podcast socials listeners to, is to post the foreign covers where I find them. And there was a few occasions this year where I, I found some like weeks or so after we'd done the story. So and Facebook lets you edit, so I was able to go and drop some back in, but mm-hmm. Instagram doesn't do that. So 
check out Instagram this week and see if I managed to add some more foreign covers for comics that, we, that we've covered but we didn't have the foreign covers for when we did the stories no it was, mm-hmm. it was interesting to do this one because Grundy's not going to shop as the crow flies for quite a long time mm-hmm. he's still quite a major player to this very day he's yeah. literally in last week's Justice Society issue and he was that cover of that variant detective comics that you showed me mm-hmm. I just bought yeah. the right because he was in the backup strip of that recent detective comics now it's an interesting story that was obviously when you see Robin of Earth 2 wearing a different costume for the first time. Yes. Not his grey and blue one, which continues to be the heavily Batman influenced one, which mm. continues to split opinion. I really like it. I like, like it as well. Lots yes. of other people don't like it. But, you know, there's that little footnote that credits it to having been designed by Neil Adams. Awesome. Which was fun. But then it's mm-hmm. going to be, a, again, it's going to be a good few years before the Dick Grayson of Earth 2 shifts out of that grey uniform mm-hmm. altogether. So the next episode after that was one that, did very well for us. I really enjoyed sort of working. It was our 100 pages episode. Yes, DC 100 page super spectaculars of which you own every single one. I do. Well done. Oh, thank you. All the ones published in the 70s, there have been many since. Uh-huh. There was the, the reprint ones in the 2000s and then there was the more recent ones that done in association with Walmart and I've been gradually trying to collect as many of them as I can and I've them as cheaply as possible. Mm-hmm. Got a few of them, posted a few of them on the socials at the time. This was a fun one. This, was, this involved a lot of reading on my part and a bit of speculation as to how and why the 100 pages came around, because there was a story that I, f- I found in an issue of Quantum Book Artist, which talked about some slight hand between Marvel and the pricing and the number of pages they put in their book and how DC had to commit. And then Marvel went back to the old format and kind of shafted DC as far as space on the newsstands. And then yeah. some of the dates that we'd seen didn't really quite tally up with some of the publication dates. So mm-hmm. we did some speculating on DC's 52-page giant format and all this, and were they doing it just to clear the paper mountain that built up and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Another one that had a lot of fun on the socials, like deep diving and digging out, trying to find as many house ads for yeah. for 100 pages as I possibly could. Well done, sir. Well done. Thank you, my lord. Mm. But that was also it was also fun to show off, like some of the, the 100 pages and post covers for some of the covers and the socials for the series that we won't be covering. True. Very like, true. you know, Tarzan, Young Romance and House of Mystery and such like. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. We enjoyed that one. The next one. I seem to remember was one that I kind of had to be persuaded <laughs> a little bit to you do, did. wasn't it? You did, yes. Beyond the Speed of Life from Flash 209. It's an early Carrie Bates one, and it's a rogue team-up of Captain Boomerang and the Trickster who seem to have killed the Flash, hmm. but actually being manipulated by Gorilla Grodd. But basically, Flash seems to go beyond life. It kind of foreshadows, spoilers, some mm. aspects of Crisis and Infinite Earths and mm. some of the ongoing the later ongoing developments for Barry and Iris. Mm-hmm. Flash seemed to be dead and Flash having hallucination images of, of Iris dying, etc. Yeah. Barry sort of vibrating outside the normal realms of existence. So it, yes. I'd, I eventually decided it had been worth doing. Outside the universe, yes. Yeah. But it was also quite interesting because you had this devourer outside the universe. It was a shape changer. It was a giant rat and it changed into Iris and it changed into yeah. all sorts of things. It was uh-huh. really... It was really quite disturbing and very strange, but it's very carry baits and a lot of fun to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm very glad we did it. Plus, you did your Australian Captain Boomerang. That's right. Which is Always good. a pleasure. I forgot I did that. Mm. There's a cap- I think there's a crow flies, there's a Captain Boomerang story coming quite soon, isn't there? Yes. So I look mm-hmm. forward to doing Captain Boomerang's voice again on that one. Yeah, that was good because I remember as well, we used some of your custom Funkos to, oh, yes. to recreate the cover That's right, or suggest no. the cover, suggest no. the whole. I think I used the term <laughs> haunting tableau. Yes, mm. here we are. Mm-hmm. Peter has created another haunting Funko Pop tableau. Of course. And remember, you'd lost the hat for Captain Boomerang, mm-hmm. so you improvised with some blue tack. 
Yes. And then I called it in on, on, on my phone, <laughs> so it looked like he was wearing a blue hat and with a shading, it worked very well. That was fun. Peek behind the curtain there, listeners. Exactly. The amount of work that we put in. So yes, then we were back in the pages of Brave and the Bold again, mm-hmm. for issue 99. More flash action. The man who murdered the past. Which was another one that I kind of had to be persuaded into doing. It involved other dimensional activity. Mm-hmm. Another couple this year that we did that involved other dimensional activity. That if we're being a strict mm-hmm. purist about multiple arts, we might not have done. But this we've decided to do other dimensions where they pop up because it yeah. lets us talk about comics that maybe people aren't aware of or yes. we might not talk about otherwise. Very Lovecraftian, this one. Yeah. Also, it had Thomas Wayne having a secret Lovecraftian past. And also... Thomas and Martha seem to have been cremated in this one and their ashes are in the summer house. Yes. I remember us mm. talking about that at the time because you're much more up on Batman than I am. Mm-hmm. And I remember you explaining and talking about some of the discrepancies this created with other... Yeah. And did we not speculate it might be on another off altogether completely again? Yes, we, we certainly did, yes. That was another really fun story. Barry as the Flash doing lots of cool Flash things while yeah. Batman was having a bit of a meltdown. Mm-hmm. A lot to enjoy. The next one was World's Finest 208. One of the best covers of all time, I think, there. Fantastic. Which, yeah, for being pedantic, didn't really equate to what went on inside. This is the one with uh, Superman in chains, pulling. It looks as if he's towing uh, the earth behind him. Yeah. Straining with Dr. Fate in the background. Yeah, that was an interesting one because a short, brief cameo from Zatanna when she murdered an elephant by turning it into a pile of butterflies. <laughs> right, crikey. Uh, and yet the cover that. was interesting because it shows that it's some kind of structural machine type mm-hmm. mechanism, whereas inside the story it's, it's just like chains that seem to have been, att- literal chains that seem to have been attached to North America. Yeah. I remember having mixed feelings on this one because the cover, it was another comic I'd owned for years and I'd never read before we did it. And I remember right. thinking it didn't really live up to the cover. Yeah. I was quite disappointed with that. That one. It's a sensational cover though, yeah. It's a beautiful cover because yeah. I'd taken a photograph of the original cover art when I'd been in London mm-hmm. and that was a good excuse to show that off. So the next one has another striking cover. Yes, the next one was out the week I went off to Paris uh-huh. in the company of Arian, who would subsequently play Adam Strange for us. Mm-hmm. As Arian and his band, the, the wife guys have read it, went over to play a gig in Paris, which meant I could pop in and see our pal Kelly Blair, who later in the year would voice Black Canary for us. Hey-hey. Yes, it was three members of the Earth 2 podcast cast in Paris at once. Yes, this was the... The debut, the arrival of John Stewart as Green Lantern in GLGA issue 87. Superb. That was quite an interesting one to revisit because obviously it's mm-hmm. the second appearance of Guy Gardner. Mm-hmm. We did it because it's the legacy of Green Lantern, essentially. Yes, so why not? A pedant might sort of say, oh, you don't have to do that because it's not a parallel. But the thing is, the reason we've decided to do the Guy Gardner and John Stewart ones is that mm-hmm. when Crisis and Infinite Earths is happening, yeah. they're involved quite a lot. Very so true. Uh-huh. it makes sense for us to do the stories and, you know, if anyone's following the ongoing narrative, it, it uh-huh. puts them in their proper place. But it was nice to do a Neil Adams story. Mm-hmm. I remember we didn't record some of the dialogue because it was incredibly racist. Yeah. But it was really nice to meet John Stewart for the first time, as it were. Mm-hmm. A refreshing new character. I remember us talking a lot about how the potential there was huge, but they just did nothing with him. At the time, yeah. He pops up a couple of years later in another JLA, and then he's just gone mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. Years and years and years until the early 80s, basically. Yeah, and then he takes over as GL. That's yeah, it, yeah. yeah. He just, there was, he just sort of think the potential that was huge there. They could have mm-hmm. done so much more with him yep. earlier than they did. And obviously, John's had his own book at various points since, and his, yeah. everyone knows him because... He was the Green Lantern that was in the, the Justice League cartoon 20 years ago, uh-huh. 20 odd years ago now. It was really fascinating just to realise that how long it had been since he debuted until he, you know, he was basically forgotten mm-hmm. before, um, I think it was Engelhart brought him back. That was a fun one to do because I'd found a few foreign reprints and obviously I got to post some homage covers on the socials for that one. Good to good. Iconic cover of John holding the, the unconscious Hal. Fantastic. The next episode was 
It was a bit of a happy accident in a way, wasn't it? Yeah, it's our first flashback episode of the year where we flash back to things that take place before the current chronology we're working yeah, through. And we basically missed this. We missed this one somehow. We, <laughs> we should did. we should have done it a while ago because this was the guest appearance by Zatara in the pages of the Elongating Man backup strip in Detective Comics three hundred and seventy nine. And it was so much fun. Ralph gets Zatara's powers. Yes. So Zatara's knocked out and uh, hilarity ensues as you'd expect yes. in a Ralph Debney story. It was fantastic. And it was one of those ones where I ended up doing practically all the voices for about four pages because <laughs> I just thought, right, Pete can do Zatara and I'll do Ralph and I'll do Sue. And then Ralph and Sue ended up just being the leads for the first three pages. I was in talking to myself. <laughs> The following story we did was Zatanna and Zatara together. So it was quite good having this little mm-hmm. flashback as a, as a sort of curtain raiser. Yes. And it meant we got to talk about the Elongated Man and post some Elongated Man covers on, on the socials and post the action figure and all that sort of stuff. And annoyingly, I had one foreign reprint of that one the week it went out. And then within like a fortnight, I'd found another three. Oh, gosh. So I was able to go and stick them on Facebook, but I'll have to add them to the Instagram now. So there we are. <laughs> are you going to add them to Instagram then? I'm going to add them to Instagram now. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, the next story was a Zatanna story that appeared over a few issues of Adventure Comics. Yep, 413 to 415. Grey Morrow artwork. Stunning. Absolutely. Folks, dig out these issues. If you can mm. find them, go and read them now. Absolutely. We'll Sensational. wait. Or try and track down a copy of DC Superstars issue 11, which reprinted the whole thing, but a slightly truncated form. That was fascinating to compare the reprints and the originals. Yeah. It uh-huh. was quite uneven over the three parts, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, definitely. A few underdeveloped characters and, and moments, but it was really, really interesting. And of course, Zatara being a Golden Age DC superhero, we had to mention him. Mm-hmm. And obviously his daughter is obviously a legacy character, so Yep. we'll be doing more Zatanna in the future more Zatanna more Zatanna mm-hmm. will happen in the future and this was the debut of Zatanna's lovely assistant Jeff yes <laughs> Jeff, who looked very much like Funky Flashman he did and indeed. Stan Lee and yeah. all that sort of stuff he mm-hmm. was a funny character mm-hmm. So the next one was our second technically flashback episode of the year, but mm-hmm. at the same time it wasn't really because we were reading it from its reprint in issue 234 of Strange Adventures. It was a story featuring Adam Strange that was originally published in Mystery in Space, issue 74. The Spaceman Who Fought Himself. Yes. And that was an interesting one because it was another twist on the other dimensional duplicate. Yeah. A duplicate Adam Strange appears and looks just like him, acts just like him, has a different name, it's from another dimension, and basically the whole thing's a big con job yeah it's hilarious yeah it's really interesting and it twists in peculiar ways if you've not read this one check out the episode or dig out the issue it's really interesting very enjoyable Mm. and i had fun digging out other adam strange comic covers to stick on the socials it was a very interesting story because adam there's there's no real individual comeuppance for this fake adam strange he just sort of fades out towards the end of the story so you're left sort of going what (laughs) what's going on after that, we were back in the pages of Adventure Comics. I tried to convince Peter to do the two stories from issue 417 in one episode, but he wasn't he having it. No. I think it would have made quite a fun balance, but but there we go. I've, I've learned to cope. <laughs> Listeners, I've learned to cope. So we, the two stories that we did, with the, the first one was um, a Supergirl story. All men are butt slaves. All men are butt slaves. Mm. Truth, truth, mm. truth, which involved Supergirl going to a parallel dimension where men have been subjugated. And it was all very Star Trekky. Yeah. And I think that was the first time we got Kelly Blair to to give us a, a cameo line reading oh, yeah, that's she, right, I huh? think she did mm-hmm. a part of Woman in the Street because <laughs> my wife Fisting joined us for that one and we had a good chat about it as well yes it was a bit divisive but yes it was. yeah a... I remember like you were quite dissatisfied about this one weren't you you yeah, didn't like uh-huh. the fact that Supergirl ran off and left all the men as yeah. they were or something yes uh-huh. so you remember that was the, the chat mm-hmm 
I don't know, it's not what a hero does. Anyway. But yeah, we were back in um, Adventure Comics 417 the following week when we did the first sort of short vigilante story that we did this year because we ended up doing a few of those. Mm-hmm. The Cop Killer. The Cop Killer. Again, gorgeous grey model artwork. Yeah. Spoiled for choice when it came to putting panels in the stories, but, you know, a great story, very economically told. And again... Must be the Earth One Vigilante because yes. uh, the Earth Two Vigilante hasn't popped up yet in the podcast. Yes, absolutely. This mm-hmm. is this is true because obviously Vigilante came back in a couple of issues of Justice League that we'd done in 2022. Mm-hmm. So it was just nice to see what happened to him next. Now the following episode oh. was our first sort of portmanteau episode of yes. the year. This was a joy. No wasps, we called it. A reference to Mr. Don and Mr. George, the, the characters from Absolutely, played by Jack Doherty and Maury Hunter. Yes. If you don't know who they are, listeners, get looking on the YouTubes. So yep. this was good because, it, I mean, I could post a photograph on the socials of a sign advertising how to get your wasps destroyed. A big placard <laughs> that was outside my local branch of Asda. Put that as a teaser on Instagram and it got six likes. Wow. Let's have a look from, from Alison, from Mick Pride, from Johnny, Johnny McKinstry. Johnny, I've not seen you for ages. I hope you're still listening. From our Ross and from Drummond Guy, who we haven't mentioned him on the socials ever. So that was, yeah, we got a few. I bet those people are going, what's going on here then? I remember we had a mild debate about doing all the stories we ended up doing in this one, but this one mm-hmm. came around because we were already in early planning stages for our episode on Wanted. Yes, the that's DC correct. Comics 70s reprint series. Mm-hmm. And we seemed to spend ages debating which stories we were going to do. And then Peter noticed there was a story reprinted in this issue of Wanted where Wildcat fought someone called the Golden Wasp, or at least that's what Wanted called him. And then we noticed around about the same time that there was a story reprinted in one of the Flash 100 pages featuring the character of Quicksilver, who obviously modern readers will know maybe better as Max Mercury, mm-hmm. where he fought someone called a Wasp. And we thought it was interesting that these stories were published around the same time. And also this was the first time we've done... a pretty much contemporary comic as well we did a story from the green arrow 100 page super spectacular that was out just yeah the uh, 80th anniversary of green arrow one yeah Mm -hmm. and that again featured the return of the yellow wasp yeah that was a fun one to do because you know we we like these portmanteau episodes and we had the golden wasp as well who encountered spy smasher oh that's right because we didn't do the full story on that one see that was part of the debate listeners which ones we're going to we're going to do because Pete quite rightly was, you know, sort of <gasps> having to do all this editing. So we just did a sh- sort of short summary mm. of the the one from the Spy Smasher story because he was probably the least interesting, yeah. to be honest. And we will come back to Spy Smasher later on. Yes, yeah, so we just kind of summarised that one but dug deep into the, the Wildcat and Quicksilver. And it was good to do the Quicksilver story because the poor little wasp man died violently at the end when he impaled himself with his own sting. And the, the Wildcat one was fascinating. Yeah. Um, that was, that was, I remember that was another one that was really difficult to pick panels to put on Instagram because so much went on. It was such an interesting story. And it was the debut of the boxing glove arrow yes secret origin of the retcon secret origin of the boxing glove arrow which Superb. I see, did you not complain about this and sort of say that you'd had it already or i can't remember or someone did yeah but it's just so joyous mm. it's, it's great and also that was a fun one to act because for a change i was actually doing gruff batman as opposed to the more adam westy batman yeah that was when i i assembled my my famous no wasp graphic <laughs> with the action figures of green arrow wildcat and max mercury that was fun yeah. stuck up a max mercury cover gallery and mm-hmm. we were able to post peter's custom funko of max mercury listeners do you have any obscure dc characters that you think peter should make an obscure customs funko of that we can post on the socials let him know he'll be delighted to do it so we were back in Adventure Comics again mm-hmm. with the next episode, Adventure Comics 418 and 419, because we did a Black Canary story that was spread over two issues. Amazing, stunning Alex Toth, Alex Toth artwork. Mm. Gorgeous. 
phenomenal. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. You, this is in the Black Theory archives. It's yes. been reprinted in that, and I think it was also in another trade as well. Again, seek these issues out. They're absolutely beautiful. The story is quite bizarre. It's uh, a bit all over the place, but a lot of fun. It's very 70s crime drama. That was another, included another cameo by our Kelly Blair as Catwoman. Yes, for her one line. Yes, <laughs> building up to her bigger part later in the summer. No, I really enjoyed that one because that was one that, again, I needed kind of twisted and persuaded on because we sort of decided with Black Canary being an Earth 2 emigre and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. we weren't going to do every single comic that she appeared in. However, the Alex Toth artwork really sold it to yeah, us. Yeah, but this one. was because it was a kind of a, a shorter one that was easy enough just to, to do this. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was maybe one that people maybe wouldn't expect, but I think yeah. would have been glad to see it because, mm-hmm. as I say, like, you know, the panel posts on that one, I got it got like over 70 likes on Instagram, which is very unusual. And I think that's entirely due to the fact that it was Black Canary drawn by Alex Toth. <laughs> um, managed to get, scrounge up a few original pages of artwork work from that one from the, from the webs right, as well yes. um, which they all went up in the socials and so uh-huh. and obviously it meant I could do a little dedicated Black Canary cover gallery I love doing cover galleries don't mm. you so after that well gosh who was back but Sargon Yay. again but as a hero or as a villain there was a three part Justice League story yeah that someone we... called is it Starbreaker Starbreaker do 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 why do you have to be a Starbreaker, Starbreaker. When I was be anyway, and this Starbreaker story ran over JLA ninety eight, well through ninety six, ninety seven, and ninety eight. But ninety seven was the bulk of which was taken up by a massive big reprint flashback of their origin. Yeah, as they tried to work out how to deal with them. So <laughs> rather than do a reading of ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, we sort of summarised ninety six and ninety seven, mm-hmm. and we read most of ninety eight. Yes. But I remember there's some there's some really interesting stuff in that because Flash went back to the future at one point. Mm-hmm. So the, the the future version of Central City that he'd seen in an episode we did tail end of last year. Yep. Black Canary's wig fell off during a fight, <gasps> which was quite amusing. And I realised, despite holding the cover for 30 years, that, that they were sort of sat in a giant Green Lantern power ring on the cover. Mm-hmm. I'd never registered that before. <laughs> but that was that was an interesting one. I remember, like, I remember that was one that took a lot of work and a lot of preparation and a lot of scripting. And Because we don't normally yeah. write what we say. We just normally just say it. But we'll do a bit of that in advance. But it yes. turned out quite well. Starbreaker came back, obviously, for a couple of issues when Dan Jorgens was on Justice League. So it was good to kind of yep. do some digging there and get some of that on the socials. Quite a big threat, really. It's not really been used. Yeah, he was made up yeah. to be like an almost omnipotent type supervillain. Yeah, it was very Galactus like. Yeah, yeah, and then wasn't used again for 20 years and probably hasn't been used since. I'm not yeah. sure. Oh, well. What can you do? So the next one Death of an Immortal. Yes, Flash issue 215. Mm-hmm. With Jay Garrett coming back for the first time in ages. First team up with Barry for a very, very long time. A mysterious man called Dalvan has a secret agenda on this one. Who could Dalvan be? What a possible recurring villain could Dalvan be? <sighs> Dunno. Mm. This was an interesting one because it started off Barry's wearing Jay's uniform. Yeah. For the first few pages, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Probably a thrill for Barry. Because, yeah. you know, he, him being a massive comic fan and, uh, and bearing in mind as a child. Barry used to cosplay or dress up as. Dress up as we used to call it yeah. those days. Uh-huh. Yeah. As Jay Garrick and run about. That's not, has that been revealed yet? Uh, not yet. It's no. just revealed in, I, a, that in the early and, 300s. Yeah. yeah. So, spoilers. With, with his childhood sweetheart, Daphne Dean. Yeah. So, yeah. That was that was also the story that let me do my impression of John Cleese's Tim the Enchanter. That's right. Of course. Vandal Savage. Yeah, because we hadn't seen, had we seen Vandal recently? I couldn't remember. I don't think we have. No, eventually the mortal villain. I think it was the yeah, last time. Uh-huh. He'd, he'd, yeah, because I think I put. I found. I seem to remember posting a couple of foreign reprints of that that I didn't have originally. Vandal will be back, mm-hmm. of course. After that, we did another one, which was actually 
I think we'd actually recorded it ages 2022, because it was <laughs> it was a very short kid flash story. Again, yeah. another one on another dimensional plane when Wally has to go into some paintings and, and rescue some people and stuff and Mm-hmm. That was murder to try and edit panels down for the for Instagram just to kind of try and get the gist of it. But it was it was fine. It was like Pete does all the editing and the amount of work he's done it this year. I can't grudge him wanting to do a short story occasionally. Yeah, well, just to kind of save it. Yeah, this is a lot of fun though because it reminded me a lot of the Doom Patrol story, the painting the eight Paris, which I absolutely adore. Ah. The thought of a painting being like an interdimensional doorway also is very Doctor Who-ish. And it's very, very Narnia, isn't it? Yeah, I love that idea. And there were many, many, many menswear references in that one, I believe. Were there? Yes, I believe so. Probably, I can't remember. Uh, they all blur into one after, <laughs> after a while. No, Blur's a different band. Well, hey, following that was our episode on Wanted, the, the DC reprint series, Wanted, the world's deadliest villains. We eventually decide on doing the Johnny Quick and Our Man stories that were reprinted in issue 7. Mm-hmm. Early on in the process we'd thought about doing the Doctor Fate story until Peter did some digging and realised that the villain that Doctor Fate fought was called Mr Who and that there had been several other Mr Whos and you probably listened to that episode about a month ago when yes. it was out so we'll, that com- later. we'll come back to that. That was an interesting one. I remember the some of the storytelling being a bit impenetrable. I remember, the, I remember <laughs> we did that one remotely and the Hour Man one uh-huh. was a bit confusing at points. Mm. Found it very unsatisfying as to the way things were evolved, resolved, I remember. But the Johnny yeah. Quick story was was quite interesting. Dr. Clever was Johnny Quick's yeah. uh, nemesis. He's a recurring nemesis. Again, no one ever talks about him, so it's quite good. But I really enjoy bringing out the Dr. Clifford Evil voice. I haven't done proper <laughs> full-on evil voice since I was doing all those Spectre villains last year. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully there was some more villains for you to do in the imminence. Defunct the door, they destroy the voice. Wanted's a great series. We got a good, that was another episode we got a good response to. I think it's one yeah. that people were quite nostalgic about. Mm-hmm. And of course they had a hardcover of that fairly recently, last few years. So seek yeah. that out, folks. All the issues are there and it's a fantastic reprint That's series. Right. So um, much in it. Because, you know what, my wee sister got my copy for my birthday, was it? Mm-hmm. Whichever was close to her, whenever it was that it came out. And I think I saw a copy on sale recently in Forbidden Planet Glasgow. Gasp. Don't know if it's still there. The next episode was one that had been on the cards or on the schedule for ages. Yes. Absolutely ages we'd, we'd been planning to do an episode featuring Roy Raymond, the television detective. Mm-hmm. And we did a bit of work on this in as much as Pete did all the digging and found all the Roy stories that dealt with duplicates of other dimensions. And we, we did, I think, was it readings of two of them and some summaries of a couple of other ones? Yes, Roy Raymond's Perfect Double from Detective 181, we did that one. Summaries from The Man from the Fifth Dimension, Invaders from the Fourth Dimension, they're from 196 and 238. Mm-hmm. And in that Basically, there's people faking they're from another dimension. Yeah. And then we had the fifth dimension trap from Detective 278. And that was an actual other dimension. And yeah. there, that was great fun. I really enjoyed both of, doing both those stories. I, I would love love for us to be able to do some more Roy Raymond. All with great Ruben Moria art. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish they would do a collection of Roy Raymond because oh, yeah. they were really fun. Yeah, I mean, they've just done this collection of Detective Chimp. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of going, right, where's the Rex the Wonderdog Omnibus then? Yeah. Where's the Roy Raymond collection? You know, yeah. all, you know that all this stuff's there. Uh-huh. I, I mean, Detective Chimp, I think, obviously, because he's been used in Justice League Dark and he's, and it's, yeah. he's seen as some kind of funny novelty mm-hmm. when there's a lot of other interesting yeah. stuff. I think my favourite story of that one was Roy Raymond's Perfect Double, where basically... Oh, it was excellent. Where Roy Raymond pretended to be his own extra-dimensional yes. counterpart and an actor was playing yes. him 
It was amazing. It was hilarious. That was one of my favourites as well because I remember the opening sort of splash image had Karen in some sort of state of distress because Roy was vanishing <laughs> before her eyes to another dimension. And mm-hmm. of course, in true Defenders cover circuit issue 37, 38, yeah. that image didn't actually happen in no. the story. Worth pointing out as well that one of those issues the Detective Comics had read from was the one with the giant guy called Steve running around with no trousers on, <laughs> which made us laugh. The next one was another one that was kind of vaguely contentious yeah. in a way. But, you know, I think Peter let me do this one because I'd agreed to do those Flash ones. Yep. World's Finest 213, starring Superman in the Atom Peril in a very small place. A sort of dimension within a dimension. Inside a telephone wire. Yeah. There was mm. some brilliant imagery in that story. Yeah. Um, I remember at the end sort of feeling it was a bit of a pyrrhic victory uh-huh. for Superman in the Atom because quite a lot of devastation was sort of brought in these other dimensional people through no fault of their own. Yeah. But it was interesting, not least of all, because I'd found no less than five foreign reprints of that cover to stick on the socials. That was one where we had cameos from a couple of DC staffers. I can't remember who they were offhand. Oh, that's right. uh, the paint salesman. That's right. Let's (laughs) see if I can find... Yeah, it was Dick Dillon and Joe Giella. There we are. That's right. Mm -hmm. That was a fun one. I remember there was a few bits which kind of confused us as to why they were given sort of certain bits of priority in the story. But I remember there was a nice sort of speech for Superman about why he did what he did and his promises and all that sort of stuff. And and I managed to find... other covers with Superman and the Atom on them to stick on the socials. That was good. So the next issue, we were once again back in Adventure Comics. We're back to Adventure Comics 422 for a vigilante story called The Vigilante and Rodeo of Death. Rodeo of Death. That's definitely as a 70s action adventure TV yes. short episode title. Yes. Yeah. Dealt with sort of racial tensions in New York, I seem to remember, wasn't it? Yeah. It was very interesting. Again, sensational artwork in this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, remember, I just remember feeling that the story was quite poignant. It went in a way I wasn't really expecting, and it was, compared to some of the other stuff that we're doing around this period, it's very grown up. Uh Uh-huh, yes. Very mature. And again, like a lot of stories that were covering from this period, dealing with issues which are still very relevant in the States today. It was one of the stories that I wish had more pages to expand in some of of the backstory to the characters and some of the situation and or even the organisations involved if if Vigilante was following up on that afterwards as opposed to just like riding out of town. Instead of getting out of Dodge and and the David Banner style. I mean we do like the the travelling hero Vigilante just going about the place, you know, righting wrongs wherever he goes. It's, yeah. it's quite a cool concept. But again, it would be quite good if he had something more regular to track down or go up against, and we felt this might or, be potential for that. Or some reporter to that was dogging his tail or, yeah, you know, or something. It was interesting because there's still a still a couple of other vigilante shots for us that, that we got to, but it all became very interesting very quickly. Mm-hmm. But before we got there, there was another one which was a bit... Mm, we did a story from Action Comics 415, which basically let me put a Frankenstein's monster cover gallery up on the socials because there was this weird Frankenstein-like creature who turned out to be a super intelligent scientist from another dimension. Meet the Metropolis monster! It was a good twist in that because you weren't expecting him yeah. to be the scientist, you expected him to be the, the monster. And the, and the good-looking guy was the monster. All sorts of Frankenstein imagery and stuff throughout the story. And again, another character who could have came back and didn't. It's almost like they were setting up for him to be someone who did pop back, but you know, it never happened again. There was potential there, I suppose. I mean, the yeah. other thing that was really interesting about that comic was that the Metamorpho story in the backup strip also had a Frankenstein's monster yes. imagery going on. Mm-hmm. So it was Frankenstein's monster week on the Off 2 podcast. <laughs> After that... We entered the summer of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Yes, probably... <sighs> The most ambitious episodes we'll do ever, I think, to be <laughs> honest. 
did a couple of episodes leading up to the arrival of the Seven Soldiers in the pages of JLA 100. And we also did the wrap-up episodes, so we don't have too much more to say about that. But mm-hmm. um, the, the intro episodes are interesting because we did a story for the Crimson Avenger, met another Crimson Avenger, and where Vigilante met another Vigilante, and where one of several, where Green Arrow and Speedy met another Green Arrow and Speedy. Yeah, of sorts. It was really cool because the Crimson Avenger story actually is from Detective Comics twenty six, the issue before Batman debuts. Yep. I really, I remember really enjoying all of these, all the mm. stories we did. Because then the following week we did another one where there was a a Star Spangled Kid and Stripes story and another Green Arrow and Speedy story and an early Sandman story where he encountered someone called Wing. Now, yes. I, I I really enjoyed all of those stories much more, I think, than the stories we ended up doing for the, the similar ones for the Freedom Fighters. <laughs> but by this point, we've been deep into the sort of work of canvassing and securing and asking and begging people from all over the world yes to join in i've mentioned our pal kelly who who lives in in paris so kelly was in paris when she recorded black canary's lines and it was all of us here in scotland like me and peter and cammy and logan and arian and and jonathan jonathan who did an excellent voice as the robin of earth too and obviously there are pals down in england tony vince and dan from the awesome comics podcast Mm -hmm. and then obviously our pal mick who's local but was in philadelphia when he did his lines as genghis khan and then all the lads in the states that we got involved if i can try and remember everyone we got ross we got chuck we got ranger gord who does the the vigilante podcast we got him to play vigilante which was amazing he left yes. such a nice comment on our facebook posts and, and it's one of his own facebook posts actually mm-hmm. I, I screenshotted and kept it because it really really touched me max and rich from the weird warriors came back mm-hmm. they played respectively elongated man and sandman we got the the irredeemable shag the legend from the fire and water podcast network to play metamorpho for us sensationally yeah phenomenal obviously we had to get him to do metamorpho because he's a member of just league international and as we speak shag is approaching the final episodes of breakdowns on, on his jli podcast <gasps> gasp my podcasting hero brandon peters was kind enough to to give voice to three characters he did mm-hmm. snapper car and star spangle kid and one of the green lanterns and our pal steve higgins also did three characters he was Johnny Thunder stripes in the Crimson Avenger. Mm-hmm. Christine was one of the Wonder Women, and my wee baby sister was Zatanna. Yep. Our pal Logan came in as Speedy, and is probably going to be Speedy for us in, in perpetuity. There you are. Comedian Robert George was uh, was Martian, Martian Manhunter. Manhunter. Of course, yes. maybe reaching Helping out to us him. out there. My pal Cammy sat in the, the cloakroom at the Garage Nightclub in Glasgow and recorded two lines as the Gotham bad guys. Oh yes, that's right. Which is quite funny. Our pal Gavin was the other Green Lantern. That's correct, yes. Gavin had helped us out on one of the JLA JC crossovers last year. Mm-hmm. And he obviously, he was the Thunderbolt again, to great effect. Indeed. So we probably missed people out, but thank you to everyone. Yeah, well, I'm sure we, we were giving you enough credit at the time. And also we did, we've done a full wrap-up episode, so we would have mentioned mm. everyone then, but mm-hmm. they were amazing. I think when we even when we'd done the wrap-up episode, I hadn't heard them, uh-huh. but I've heard them many times since, and I was stunned at the amount of work that you put in on they this meeting. Like so much effort to try and put <laughs> I can imagine. Like, there was one, the one bit when, like, you know, Metamorpho transforms into the tank and all that stuff. I was, like, gobsmacked. I could not believe what I was listening to. I remember walking down to work one morning listening to that just being like oh my goodness yeah. I'm amazed I'm to this day stunned and that's what I say when I say they're probably the most ambitious ones we'll ever attempt because I do not want that on my conscience one of my favourite bits is from that particular scene and it's when Metamorphos talking as he's doing it he says one line then I've got a gear crunch yes and then he says the next bit yes that took a bit of doing. <laughs> yes. I was just stunned it's almost like punctuation it's you know, it was it was you know, it's the perfect little <laughs> combination of what you were doing and what shag was doing and then obviously yeah. rich playing the sandman and the, at the same time mm-hmm. and they were as they were conversing it was 
as we kept saying, it was full big finish. It was glorious. Obviously, when we were doing these retellings, David does a lot of panel descriptions and stuff. But for that one, because we had the sound effects and everything telling the story, we recorded it as normal, pretty much. And then I tried to edit out as much David as possible. Sure. Because we didn't yeah. need it, because the soundscape was telling the story. And once you get the hang of all the different voices, and it's yeah. not just our voices, yeah. then you don't need to say, and Black Canary says. Yeah, of course. And Green Arrow says. Yeah, I mean, that sort of thing... I have to when it's just the two of us. Uh-huh. You have to do that. But oh, yeah. uh-huh. I mean the one the one scene where Canary, Johnny Thunder, and Green Arrow rescue Vigilante, mm-hmm. and Thunderbolt turns up as well. So that's yeah. five heroes, and we didn't do the voices for any of them. No, <laughs> I think that was the only chapter when you and I didn't do a voice of uh-huh. one of the main heroes. And it's maybe our favourite. Yeah, that was our favourite because because it was yeah. just like listening to radio drama. It was great. I yeah, mean, they were great. Kel's unfortunately inheriting the southern accent that that um that Vin had sort of given Canary. <laughs> Years ago, which we're trying to kind of maintain slightly, but you know, Chuck just nailing it as Ollie, and yeah. Steve being perfect as as Johnny, yeah. and the fact that I'm I'm so pleased that the Ranger God was so pleased, yeah, to do Vigilante, and I mean, there's no way we could ask anyone else to do Vigilante, no. you know, in a similar way to the way that we got Ross to do Starman because Ross is doing a dedicated Starman, yeah, podcast, Opal City mm-hmm. Confidential, mm-hmm. on his stop, let's team up thread, and Pete's been an episode of that, and I've, I've been in a few. Sort of joining Ross on the, on his journey through all the different star men, and that's that's worth checking out. So yeah, we could probably talk about the Seven Soldiers episodes forever. To be honest, we they were just like the absolute highlight of the summer. But if you want to know more about that, listen to our wrap up episode of it. Yes, because that will tell you all yes. you need to know. We go into a, a deeper dive, and then mm. the the amusing thing was that that was then followed by another Earth One Vigilante story. <laughs> When we were back, we were in the page of the world's finest for issue 214, and that was fascinating because it was actually published before issue 102 of Justice League of America. Mm-hmm. This and this was the thing; it really brought home the whole right. You've introduced the vigilante in GLA, and you've been using him in adventure comics, yes. and here is the world's finest. At the huh. same time, as this other vigilante is being rescued from the American Midwest by Green Arrow and Black Canary. I remember uh, making a joke saying, you know, between issues 101 and 102, Superman says, it's okay, I've got Vigilante, I found him here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he, yes. There's this whole werewolf thing, there's this, a full yeah. moon in the background, so take a drink. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that that was an interesting story because it was very, it was fun, but it was a little unsatisfying as to why we didn't really find out what happened to the guy and what made him a werewolf. And yeah, all stuff. yeah. Brilliant artwork on it though and some really nice mm-hmm. action. The next one yes. was our second portmanteau episode. This was prompted by the, the publication of Action Comics 419, which had, had the debut of the Human Target. Christopher Chance. We were both aware that there'd been other Human Targets, so we did a story from Detective Comics, one from House of Mystery, and another one from an issue of Gangbusters. Gangbusters. Show me a Fanta. Because there'd been some other Human Targets, and it was, it was, you know, none of these were really technically Golden Age superheroes, but we sort of wondered how many people will know that there are, there have been other Human Targets, because mm-hmm. Christopher Chance is probably D-list at best, mm-hmm. but it was, it was worth doing, and I remember having to twist Peter's arm to do the, the House of Mystery story, but I was glad we did, because they were all very different from each other. Yeah, the Batman one was really funny because you had this, who is the human target? And you had this really amazing costume that he was wearing, which is uh, quite interesting. And I really want to make a Funko Pop of that, I'll be honest. There's still time. Yeah, there is still time. But of course, the character is just like someone who disguises himself as other people yes. and literally becomes a human target. There is no costume involved in the story. I know, but it'd be a great custom Funko. The splash panel lied to me. That was interesting because we both remembered that our first encounter with the human target being one particular issue of Brave and the Bold. Yeah. And because we did an issue of Gangbusters, it meant I could post a small short gallery of covers featuring the the 90s character Gangbuster. Hey. Because we speculated on his origins. And that was one, Mm -hmm. actually, 
I had more foreign reprints of that cover image of Superman from Action Comics 419 than of anything else. And obviously Instagram oh, really? only lets you fit on 10, mm. but about 12 or 13 or something, which Crazy. all went on the Facebook because that image of soups flying up from the city, mm-hmm. Dominique Adams has been flipped and cropped and repurposed Course, yes. dozens of times. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting one. A lot going on. I remember I was juggling a lot of plates when that episode was happening. And this was just after we'd been juggling all the plates for the Seven Soldiers episodes. <laughs> Following that, it was another flashback as we and Superman encountered Shavam. The Battle of the Gods. And that was an interesting one because we talked vaguely about featuring this character. Yeah. It was obviously influenced by Shazam. Mm. But because we were approaching um, the publication of Shazam issue one, we thought, no, let's hold off. And we decided quite late in the day that we were going to do an episode mm-hmm. on this immediately prior to Shazam issue one. And Shazam had appeared across three issues. Yes. But we just read part three because that, that dealt with his origin and we talked about some of those. And that was another one where I had plenty, plenty of foreign reprints of Shazam covers and then found a few more after we'd done the episode and... The coincidence was that the week it was published, or the week we were working on it, the DC Comics Night Terrors event was going on. Issue one of the first issue of the Shazam tie-in featured Mary Marvel fighting Shazam. Yes! That was a, a perfect bit of synchronicity. Maybe It was either like the week the week before this episode came out, or the week we recorded it or something that was going on. So yeah, it was bizarre that that came out so closely, but then obviously I mean, very soon afterwards we did Shazam issue one, the arrival of the real Captain Marvel at DC Comics, a couple of years after we'd done our very successful MF Enterprises Captain Marvel episode. Which you should definitely check out, folks. It's fascinating and was great to research. Yes, once again I can mention that the MF Enterprises Doctor Fate was French. We. Oui. Yeah, that was fun because it was, you know, Captain Marvel was a massive, important character in my sort of comics fandom. My dad had read him when he was a little boy and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. I'd, he'd bought me a couple of issues of Shazam when I was a little boy and all that sort of stuff. And that felt like a real sort of touchstone, milestone sort of moment Yeah, that we got to Shazam issue one. It felt like a real sense of progress mm-hmm. in what we're doing with the narrative of the whole thing, you know, because... There's been a few of those this year with the arrival of John Stewart and the Seven Soldiers and yeah. Shazam arriving, and then obviously we've recently done the the Freedom Fighters. It feels yeah, like there's, there's, there's a been big change, a lot of a lot of development yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Our next episode was another one prompted by a, a 1970s DC reprint series, Secret Origins. We both chose our favourite Secret Origin from Secret Origins to cover in this episode. We hummed and hawed about some of them, and it's the sort of thing we could have maybe done two episodes and maybe done a couple of the other yeah characters that were featured, but we did we did Kid Eternity and Aquaman because they're people that are going to pop up on the podcast, but not that often. Yeah, it's true, it's true, and also establishes the vast difference between the Golden Age Aquaman's origin and indeed the Silver Ages one. Absolutely, that was fascinating. I wasn't mm. aware of quite how different things were. Yeah, they loved the fact that you know, <laughs> my son is a true dweller of the deep. His name shall be. Aquaman. <laughs> not Arthur, not Davy. No, they're good names. Aquaman. Yep. Mm. Yeah, we even managed to scrape a few interesting bits together for the socials for that one. Found some scans of original art, mm-hmm. found some foreign reprints. There was an issue of the Batman Breathing the Bold cartoon tie in that featured Kerry Tenlithia, so managed to post a couple of panels on that, which is cool because they yep. featured two members of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Yeah. We photographed some of Peter's Vertigo comics of Kiritern- the later Kiriternity. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, there was um, there was it was kind of interesting one from a, a legacy sort of point of view. I mean, the Aquaman thing's fascinating, especially mm-hmm. given the tease that he's going to pop up in in Justice Society. Yes, that's true. The current Justice Society series, which finally managed to get another, as we as we record, finally managed to get another issue out this week. <laughs> issue seven. Did, did you, have you mm-hmm. read it? 
Not yet, no. All right, okay. So okay. it's usually the other way around. But I, read, I popped in and got it on Wednesday because I'd seen that Martin Gray had reviewed it. So I didn't, didn't read his review until after I read it, but I kind of agreed with Martin, as, as I often do on his reviews. It's quite interesting, this JSA mm-hmm. comic. It's been very unsatisfying. Okay. You know, gets, they get an issue every two months and nothing really seems to happen to move the story on. And, yeah. and then the last issue just resolves Everything it all happens. in three pages. Yeah. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. I think Jeff's lost it, to be honest. Anyway... The next episode, we're back in the pages of Action Comics for issue 421 and the arrival of Captain Strong. This is an interesting one because we kind of hummed and hawed about this, but when we decided to do what's going to be one of the early episodes of 2024, we thought this would be worth doing because it's essentially a DC hero encountering another famous comic strip fictional character. Mm -hmm. Or version thereof. And a version of them being brought into the DCU. And this obviously, this character being a version of Popeye. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting one. That was an interesting one to do. Worth it, I think. Instead of eating spinach to get his super strength, he eats Sonja. Yes. Which gave us the song... If you're a bad guy, he'll punch you when he eats his Sonja. (laughs) The sailor called Captain Strong. (laughs) Well done, that man. And that was fun because we speculating whether, whether um, our man's miracle featured spinach as its key ingredient. Indeed. And I got to post a, a short cover gallery featuring Billy Anders, which was a lot of fun as well. Yes, a recurring Superman yeah. supporting cast member that no Unusual one talks about. For that time, mm. we were back to Adventure Comics for the next episode for Vigilante. We did two stories, one from 426 and 427 at that wonderful weird period when Supergirl was just left. Adventure comics, and it's a complete state of flux. Yeah. For a few months before Black Orchid and then the Spectre take over. Mm-hmm. You had the Adventurers Club in there as well, and all sorts mm-hmm. of weird things. They were fun, sort of mm-hmm. two very different stories, one involving a sort of chase through the snow, and then another one with like weird stuff happening at a movie studio. Very different in tone. Very yeah, different. very different. I, again, stories I think would have benefited from a bigger page count. Yes. Especially, you know, some of the artwork because you had uh, Vigilante going down that whole ski jump thing and that's kind of like a throwaway side panel. Yep. Whereas that would look epic as, you know, a full full page splash. Yeah. I really enjoyed both those stories but I I would agree with you they both felt they both finished very abruptly. Yeah. Another half page or page would have done wonders. One thing that was fun amongst all that was that I managed to find a French reprint that uh-huh. used the cover of 427. So that went up on the Instagram. That was fun. Mm-hmm. We were back to the pages of The Brave and the Bold for the next one. The $3 million sky. 107, which for some reason has had about 50 odd less listens than a lot of episodes around it. Oh, okay. For some reason. That was another one where I found lots of foreign reprints, including a cover from one of the Arab nations where Black Canary had been removed from the cover altogether. Gasp. It's a striking cover, though. It's got uh, Batman's just parachuted down and Black Canary's parachuting in behind him. Mm-hmm. And Batman's, like, turning around to look at her. It's very strange, the fact he's turning around to look at nothing. nothing. Yeah, Jinx. Yeah. That was an interesting one. That was murder to narrow that down for 10 panel grid things from mm-hmm. selections for Instagram. And I remember when we got to the end of recording, we realised... We'd missed one crucial detail out, the storytelling. So we had to go back and record a whole five minutes of an insert to explain that one character was standing with his foot on a coffin. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was that was actually an interesting. I, that was another comic that I'd owned for 30, about 30 years and never read it before. So <gasps> Gasp. And that was one that I'd read when I was a kid and yeah. absolutely loved. It was so it was, it was good to finally read it. The next one was suggested by one of our listeners, suggested by Abel. 
Yes, Abel Padilla, thank you. He made us aware of it. Story from Supergirl issue five, which is another one we kind of felt we had mixed reactions to. Yes. You know, we talked about it quite a lot at the time. It felt a bit Star Trek in a lot of ways. It felt a mm. little uneven. It went from, you know, haunted house fun or, you know, Supergirl losing her powers to weird green aliens causing a student revolution. It uh-huh. was all over the place. And it's another one where the cover is totally something that doesn't happen within the yeah. within the comic. Yeah. Another Supergirl cover with people being held up by a firing squad, <laughs> just like the adventure comics we've done a few months ago. Abel, again, thank you for making us aware of it because we would have been annoyed if we'd missed it. We didn't. It wasn't one that we either of us enjoyed very much, but we, <laughs> we had to do it. We oh, don't yes. grudge doing it. It was it was essential. It states it's another universe within the caption box. Exactly. Yes. So thank you because other people have missed this one in their lists of other universes. So yep. cheers, thank you. Absolutely. We were back in the pages of Just League of America with the next issue, issue 106. We didn't do a full reading of it, but we felt that because Red Tornado had been seemingly destroyed at the end of Justice League 102, taking out the Nebula Man, but then he would be restored in full health when we got to JLA 107 for the Freedom Fighters, (laughs) we thought it'd be good, we should probably do 106, because it does mention him sort of being blasted through a dimensional portal away from Earth 2 and into their universe. Yes. So we felt an abbreviated reading of that one was worth doing, and I think it worked quite well. It's probably going to set the pattern for a lot of episodes Mm -hmm. going forward when you know, there's a point in the 70s when it gets really logged, really jammed with all-star comics and Superman family and Freedom Fighters and Secret Society, Supervillains and JLA and all sorts of stuff going on. So, And it's all stuff we're going to cover, but yeah, we can't cover it in the current format. Yeah, but it would not be practical for us at all to do full readings of all this stuff. No. So a lot of them going forward are going to be summarised heavily with a bit of reading going on. So yeah. this was a good one for us to kind of practice that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And also it gave me a chance to overhack this tomorrow. Yes. I love doing mad magicians and mad scientists. And it let me beg you to change the voice for Red Tornado. I am still saddened by that. Good. I'm still saddened by that. Good. We were back to the pages of Brave and the Bold for the next episode, Brave and the Bold issue 108, which was another one I think you'd said you'd read when you were a kid, but I'd never read before. Yes. Despite owning it for 30 odd years. This is the one I always like to call the one where Batman's trapped down a well and to escape he accidentally sells his soul to Hitler. Think on that, listeners. Hmm. Had a couple of full moons in it. That was an interesting one because it was amazing how much they packed into the 20-odd pages. More incident yeah. and plot and story and, yeah. and twists and turns and just scenarios than you get in your average monthly comic nowadays. Or maybe maybe I'm doing them a disservice, but it just feels like the comics are a lot less satisfying than they used to be. And this really proved it for me. It's just trying to get a full story out within that capacity. It's That's how it was back then. It's, yeah. And it's great and... But these days, because everything's more written for the trades, so decompressed, stretch yes. out, and this story would be like a six-issue miniseries. Now. Aye, absolutely, but it's, it's wonderful and it's mental and it's bonkers, and you'll love it. Yep, and you'll go, go what? And you'll wonder why is Batman holding a crucifix in the front cover? Because he doesn't hold it in the uh, story. Uh, yeah, spoilers. It's, it's crazy, and yeah, we're doing a complete disservice. Just read that story. Yeah, and it was as you know, obviously we did it because of Sergeant Rock, and I think. We felt it. Did we feel it followed on okay from the previous Sergeant Rock, or was there too much? It, was there much in the discrepancy? I can't remember. I'll leave all that thinking well, to you. Yes, well, uh, it's, Rock now knows Batman's secret identity and seems right. to already have known, and you know, right. they, yeah, they chat, and it's 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 all very strange. And again, there's a the whole Rock doesn't really seem to have aged much. Yeah, and they go back and they meet. Was it Bulldozer? Bulldozer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a bit strange. It doesn't really address any of that, but we still have a hell of a good time with it. It's good, yeah. I was able to post the cover of its reprint from the much later Sergeant Rock Volume 2, issue 19 from 1991. That was fun. Mm. That was good. And believe it or not, listeners, this is not the craziest Batman Sergeant Rock team up. No. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's drawing close. They've still got another one before we get to that one, though. Mm. 
our next episode, I think, was one that I, I had an idea for doing. Technically, it was a bit of a flashback because we jumped back to JLA 103, but this was our yeah another one where we kind of made a rod for our own back with the workload. <laughs> you did the heavy lifting in this one, though. Quite late on last year, we did uh, an episode where we covered a, an Aquaman story that was continued a couple of years later or picked up. Some of it was picked up on mm-hmm. a few years later in the issue of Submariner, obviously mm-hmm. published by Marvel. Both written by Steve Skeets. Yep. And... What we did for this episode, which we put out in the week of Halloween, was we flashed back to JLA 103, but we also touched on Thor issue 207, My Lucky Number, and issue 16 of Amazing Adventures, because this was all to do with the Rutland Halloween Parade. And what I attempted to do, not on Instagram because there wasn't room, but I did it on Facebook. This was actually where you would really need to look at the socials for both pages to get the full gist, because we didn't really we didn't really do much in the way of JLA story pages on Facebook, which that was the one we read most of, but we did put them on Instagram, and I managed to attempt a chronological summation of all the different elements from the three stories mm-hmm. that dealt with Steve Englehart and Lennon Glynis and, and Jerry Conway. And Jerry Conway on their way to the Halloween parade. And the events that happened around them, yeah. In a rough chronological uh-huh. order. Although there's one bit where it does, it's almost impossible to reconcile. But that mm-hmm. was a lot of fun because it was a lot of work, but it was very satisfying to kind of get yeah. that one done and get that out. That was, and you know, Phantom Stranger made his debut. So you could post some Phantom Stranger covers and I managed to find some foreign reprints mm-hmm. of the Thor comic. There's quite a lot of appearances of the Rutland Halloween parades across loads of comics over the yes. years, but I think this is probably the standout one, I think, which is why we chose this one to, to showcase here. So, Absolutely. So yeah. There's one thing we have to correct from that because I think we said in that one that we hadn't seen Felix Faust since the, the first JLA JSA crossover, but that wasn't true because he'd obviously been in that world's finest story we did tail yes. end of last year with Superman and Green Lantern and who you think is Dr. Fate. Mm-hmm. But it's so not. we'd forgotten about that. So apologies. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of retroactive history minute if you will indulge me in a in a Max and Rich type style E. The Rutland one was it was the first one really in a run where we gave ourselves a whole lot of work. <laughs> but I think it was worth it because I think our, both of our feeling is that there's no point doing this by halves. Mm-hmm. You know, we've committed. <laughs> and if it means we have six or seven episodes in a row that involve a lot of work, then by Jiminy, we'll just have to do it. We followed that one immediately with the first of our episodes building up to the recent arrival of the Freedom Fighters with our Human Bombs episode. Yeah, when we were doing the research for what stories we wanted to cover in the lead up to the Freedom Fighters' return, or debut, really, uh-huh. I discovered there were lots of different human bombs. Mm. So we decided to do an episode solely on the human bomb. Yes, we quite easily could have done two. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because there were several other stories. We might yeah. we might do them again one day. So the actual Roy Lincoln human bomb encounters a phony human bomb yes. in Police Comics 7. We did a mouthpiece story. Yep. And he encountered a human bomb. Bomb air. Yes. But I thought, this story's too good. Plus, we'll never talk about the mouthpiece. Never going to talk so about mouthpiece. Yeah, we might as well cover that one. That was cool. And also, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Steve Wilson in Big Town number two. Yes. Investigates a human bomb, which is great. But of course, this was reprinted in Detective Comics. But because they didn't have the licensing to the Big Town characters, they renamed it. And Steve Wilson became Marty Moran. Headline Hunter. Yes. That was it, wasn't it? Yes. I've, I've yet to actually... To get that Detective 100 pager <gasps> to make the comparison, I've not yeah. had time. Because I'm, all I've been doing for the last five, six weeks is reading Doctor Who books for The Power of Three. Gasp. And we also did a really good Black Hawk story. Yes, which is great. And we had to get rid of some of the chop-chop dialogue. Yes, we had to skirt away around that terrible. story. Black Hawk issue 79. So that was followed by our first Road to Freedom Fighters Part 1, mm-hmm. where we did a couple of stories from Uncle Sam Quarterly, issue 2. 2, yes, thank you. And the Black Condor story from issue 14 of Crack Comics. Now, the Black Condor one still troubles me. <laughs> it's not that, you know, not that long since we talked about it, but just the fact that he dropped that other impersonator from a great height. 
That was very unpleasant. And of course, that was the one where we did the only time that the quality heroes appeared together in the Golden Age. Yes, in that poem. In the poem, the, the villains revolt, which is very interesting. Seeing Quicksilver and Black Condor and the Rail and sharing pages with other heroes. Mm-hmm. And then we followed that up with our second Road to Freedom Fighters episode, which this time focused on the Ray, Phantom Lady and Dollman. Only listened to that one last week <laughs> at the point of recording. Not too much more to add to that one, really, but the I would love to do some more Dollman stories. He was he fascinated me because yeah. I'd, I'd seen him on the stands when I was a kid, as I explained at length. And as I've said, Dollman has a huge publishing history. He was had his own title for years and years and years. So there's a lot more Dollman out there than there is uh, of the Atom. Absolutely. <laughs> comparatively. Absolutely. And then our following episodes, which interrupted maybe I think what people were expecting, was um, one that kind of had its, as we've said already, because we only as the point of recording, it was released yesterday. <laughs> we said already, it was like when we'd been planning the Wanted story, we were going to do the Doctor Fate story. And then Peter mm-hmm. realised that there were some other Mr. Who's. And then I realised that... Mr. Who's. I realised that the Doctor Who anniversary this year was on a Thursday. And the two events dovetailed beautifully. Do we do this and ask Ross and Shag and Kenny and Brandon to do some voices? <laughs> and Peter was like, yeah, all right. Okay, can we get Logan in for Speedy and Freddie Lo- Freeman as Logan well? Logan came in and, d- and did Speedy and... <laughs> While we were at it, he just did Freddy as well. Mm-hmm. And at the point of time of writing, it's been mm-hmm. available for a whole 30 hours or something. <laughs> Not really much else to add to that one, really, given that we've <laughs> we've probably just been talking about it and people won't have, will have only have heard it recently. But it was a lot of fun. It was yep. turned out very well. I'm I'm very pleased by it. Thank you once again, Peter, for all the hard work that you did. Everyone, oh, cheers. again, coming in and doing all the, their guest bits and really making us laugh by yep. getting the chance to play some over-the-top baddies. Yep. You know, I think Brandon and, and Ross had the most fun with theirs, but Shag obviously really went for it as well. Oh, and Shag's audio was a delight to edit. Thank yep. you, Shag. And Kenny had some some fun with his characters. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, as we've said before, like Speedy had two lines in JLA 102, but we yeah. thought, right, we're already we're at the point now we're at almost asking people from the corner sh- or local corner shop if they wanted to do voices for us. So we got Logan in to do Speedy. Yep. Thinking... You know, quite rightly, Logan was 19 years old, so it's like it's a bit better to have an actual young man doing yeah. the voice rather than two men who are 50 attempting to do that <laughs> voice. And it made sense then to get Logan back to do him again. So hopefully Logan will be mm-hmm. back before too long if Speedy ever pops up. And it's great to do another Bullet Man and Bullet Girl story because they always fun. And what I love about this is all four of the Mr. Who's are very different characters. Yes. And also all four of them, not one of them studied for a doctorate. No. What a shame, because if one of them in the Golden Age had been a Doctor... Oh, can you imagine? Mm, I'm imagining what if it right now? been called Doctor Who? That would be hilarious. <laughs> no, but that was fun. And apologies to anyone who was maybe expecting JLA 107 straight away. We're, you know, we're, we're a multi-faith podcast, shall we say. <laughs> and obviously, Shag talks about, has talked about Doctor Who and Once Upon a Geek, and Brandon, he did some Doctor Who episodes the week mm-hmm. of the anniversary, and Kenny maintains two Doctor Who podcasts, and Ross is Gallifrey's Most Wanted. So we thought, we have to get these lads in. To celebrate the anniversary. Absolutely. The anniversary. And I think everyone was glad to take part. Mm-hmm. So that brings us then to JLA 107 and JLA 108, when we've already done full wrap-up episodes of the, on that one. Yes. So we don't really, we shouldn't really have too much more to say, other than that we're again grateful for everyone else who joined in. And at time of recording, you've not heard either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true, I've yet to hear the finish 107 one way. I've, I've given Peter strict instructions that he's not through lots of sound effects and stuff for them to the same extent as he did before. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see but what that was good because, as we've said already, Max and Rich and Gavin and Kelly came back to, to give voice to the, the people they'd done already. And 
Brandon and Shag did a couple of others and Tony and Dan did some others and Ross did someone else and Steve had more lines than anyone else we needed Uncle Sam for us so that was yeah that was good Kenny came back did another voice but yeah we've, we've told you all this already we haven't all this. we haven't gosh so that has been 2023 it's been a different one this year because I think this is the year we gave ourselves quite a lot of work <laughs> yeah we certainly did by doing you know these high, higher concept ones and multiple cast episodes I think I think it's safe to say that 2024, for the most part, is going to be a bit more business as usual. Yeah, we'll see how we get on. We've still to plan out the proper full first months of, of the year. Yeah, we know the next couple of episodes yeah. we need to record. We'll, we'll be returning, obviously, to the pages of Brave and the Bold very quickly. There will be mm-hmm. another JLA JSA story before too long, because we're almost at the period when the regular 100 pages were happening. We know that some other fictional characters from outside the DC universe might be popping up. And there will be some surprises in store for Absolutely. you as well. Absolutely. So yeah, and there won't don't expect as many road two episodes or wrap up episodes or multicast epics next year. It probably won't be <laughs> the opportunity for them, mm. to be honest. Unless if if we get as far as GLA hundred and thirty odd and we decide to do some digging on the stories featuring the Fawcett characters that that are brought back as the Shazam Squadron of Justice. You know, well, we might we, do we do a road to Shazam Squadron of Justice episode? Of course we, we do. We might do. We'll see what the stories are like. Of course we do. If Mister Scarlet and Pinky fight someone called the Tarantula or the, the Fiddler, <laughs> then we're going to have to. But we shall see what happens. I'm getting onto that right now. Cool. Thought you might be. There so, listeners, thank you for your support. We've had a really good year. Mm-hmm. We have a lot, of, a lot of new listeners and some really great responses to a lot of really good episodes that that Pete worked very hard on to put together. So, cheers. Thank you, everyone, for for your continued support. We started this year in 1971. We're finishing this year, 1973. We managed three JLA JSA crossovers this year. I know. As I say, there won't be quite the opportunity for multicast epics and road twos and wrap-up episodes next year, so we might get on a little further. But yeah, there's going to be all sorts of interesting stuff happening next year. The Spectre's return is imminent. Mm-hmm. We're going to make our first trip to the pages of Weird War Tales. Very exciting. Three more Flash stories on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Lots of interesting stuff. Indeed. So please stick with us. And if you've been enjoying what we've been doing, you can always write to us. In fact, we've had a very interesting letter recently. I I say letter, I mean email, from regular listener Alec Bredner, who says, Hello, David and Peter. Usually the last segment of your podcast is where you read out the letters page, giving you fan reaction to the comic that you are reviewing in that particular episode. Mm. Letter hacks have a long history, not only in comic books, but also in the science fiction and pulp fields. The publication of the letter writer's comments, and more importantly, their home addresses, was one of the early building blocks of fandom. Comics have had many young letter-writing fans who went on to have a full-time career in the industry. Indeed, one particular prolific letter-writer and fanzine publisher, Paul Gambaccini, became an actual character in a Flash comic. Yes, Paul Gambi. That's right, so he did. I personally loved reading the letters pages. My favourite letter hack was T.M. Maple, originally calling himself the Mad Maple, and his real name was Jim Burke. He seemed to me to have a deep love and appreciation for comic books. Not to be outdone, the UK had its own prolific letter hack, Dr. Dale Coe, who was a GP in Warrington. I know this for a fact because I remember seeing him one morning on the BBC Breakfast Television showing off his valuable comics in his collection. So how about you guys? Were the comic letters pages something you read and enjoyed as well? And that's a question from Alec Bredner. Well, thank you, Alec. It was good to bump into you at the, the old Bacchus Bonanza comic mart a few weeks ago. Yes, I see Alec quite regularly. He comes into the shop quite often, uh-huh. so yes. Yeah, over the years, there's been so many. I mean, and again, lots of them became future pros. Obviously, you mentioned two of the most well-known. Dale Coe was one that definitely popped in my head because I remember reading his stuff quite a lot, mm-hmm. especially in JLA. I remember his uh, letters popping up quite a lot there. 
Right. GM Maple was in pretty much every single issue you picked up, it felt like. Right. Uh, Tamsin O'Flynn was another one who I used to read and enjoy regularly. Mm-hmm. There's Keith Griffin, not to be confused with Keith Giffen. Sure. Who, again, in the Bronze Age, uh, it seemed to be every second issue had a letter from him in it. We've covered quite a few recurring people like Guy Lillian and Irene Vartanoff and stuff in the, the letters pages that we've done. They've propped up quite a bit, mm-hmm. as well as uh, James T. McCoy. Yeah. Yeah, he's popped up quite a bit in the, in the letters pages there. But yeah, when I was young, the letters pages were fascinating because when I was buying these things as back issues and you're reading them, then you don't always have the issue that the comic's referring to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it makes you think, oh, I need to try and find this issue. This sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love reading letters pages. I feel it's something that's kind of like lost these days because yes. society's changed, culture's changed, and responses have changed. You couldn't yeah. wait a couple of months on reactions to something being out. It's much more instantaneous. Yeah, now. things are yeah. pretty much out before you get a chance to read the issue. A reaction video we posted on YouTube, and it's like, okay. So you, we've kind of lost that more considered opinion. Sure. And the thought it took before you sat down and put pen to paper or sat at a typewriter and yeah. you know didn't mess up what you were typing, you had to think about it first. Yeah. Yeah, so we've kind of lost that to a certain extent. And it always was really interesting debates, especially getting the editorial responses, which we love reading as well on the podcast. Yeah, because quite often you would get letters that people wrote in in response to other people's mm. letters and debate might continue over yeah. a number of issues. I still think the most fascinating letters pages we've done are the ones when Kanagar was trying to shake up Wonder Woman. Yeah. And you saw all of a sudden we had all these like future comic pros writing uh-huh. in with really interesting comments and um, opinions on Wonder Woman and where Kanagar was going with it. Yeah. Whereas literally like the month before, it was letters like, I like Wonder Woman's hair. Wonder Woman is very pretty. Yeah. And then it's like, it yeah. dives into the whole mythos of the golden age and like and Greek mythology, women's rights, women's women's lib, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. All being debated in the pages of Wonder Woman, which was a comic that most people had dismissed at that point. Yeah. That was genuinely fascinating. My main memories of reading letters pages up when I was, you know, a Marvelite in the eighties. Mm. Names that I always remember. Uncle Elvis used to oh, yeah. pop up quite often. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy called Andy Oliver who was in England. I can't remember where, but he's... That's familiar, yeah. I remember that was a name that I used to see quite often. Mm-hmm. And another one that I remember was a guy called Stephen Scott Bo Smith who ended up writing Guy Gardner okay. for a long time. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of letters published and stuff. I've I've only had one letter ever published in an American comic. I wrote a letter to... um. In fact, I didn't even write a letter... The day after one of my dogs died, I posted on the DC, one of the DC Comics message boards just saying how what a crap day I'd had, but the new issue of Impulse, which had Max Mercury teaming up with the Phantom Stranger, had really cheered me up. And I didn't mention the specifics about my dog having oh. gone. And then when the final issue of Impulse was published a couple of months later, there I was on the letters page, just sort of saying I'd had a bad day and that episode had cheered me up and thanks to wow. the guys that had produced it. And so that was lovely. I agree with what you're saying. I always read them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely always read them. I remember when I was reading West Coast Avengers in the 80s and I didn't mind Wonder Man's green and red costume. Yeah. But lots of other people wrote in and hated it. And then <gasps> once they got back from being lost in space and time, mm-hmm. there was a bit, Simon had like a PA run up to him saying, people hate that costume, we've got to change it. <laughs> and I was like, oh. But I remember, you know, you used to see all sorts of interesting stuff about, you know, proper nuanced debate mm-hmm. about what they were doing in storylines or characters and stuff. And it's yeah. um, it's a bit of a lost art now, really. Mm-hmm. I think some comics still do it. I remember Astro City used to always have them. Yeah. Probably because Boussiet could sort of um, handle it himself or whatever. I agree with what you said about, you know, it's all much more immediate now. People have mm-hmm. to post their tweets. I mean, I my, my barometers are if Chuck Brulé or, or Martin Gray post about something, you know, Chuck does these little collages and posts kind of a keyword sort of review and Martin writes his more considered thing on Too Dangerous for a Girl. And they are the two guys that I kind of 
if they're saying something positive, then I know that I'm going to be all right. Or I've learned to trust their opinions mm-hmm. as an indicator before maybe I read something. Okay, That's probably how it shifted. But I mean, I used to really enjoy the letters, but it used to, they used to be quite funny, some of the things that people wrote yeah, in. Yeah, true. I remember there's an issue of Iron Man where someone wrote in with lyrics for an Iron Man cartoon to the tune of the Spider-Man cartoon, like, Iron Man, Iron Man, does the things that an iron can, steams your shirt, squishes hands, puts the creases in your underpants, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, and you know, when reader interaction was a bigger sort of encouraged thing, you know, mm-hmm. your famous Starman competition entry, for example, was not too far away from the days of letters pages. That's true, yeah. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've had a few letters and correspondence and things published in Doctor Who magazine the last couple of years. I've had one, mm-hmm. I think, one letter and a few tweets posted, so... Tweets and has become a way of sort of sharing. Yeah. And the good yeah. thing with Doctor Magazine, it publishes so close to its deadlines now are so close to print and publication it can yeah. actually uh-huh. it can get up to date stuff very, very, you know, close to publication. Mm-hmm. And that's changed because obviously there used to be a kind of two, three month lead time yeah. on uh-huh. letters. Uh-huh. It's an interesting thing to sort of con- to contemplate. And it's, it's one of the thing I think it's one of our favourite things to do in the podcast is to the is the contemporary correspondence. Yeah. Just to see exactly what people thought at the time yeah. and not with exactly. fifty years of hindsight. Exactly. And it's it's a good capsule of what's going on and it means it's not just our reaction, but you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, we're telling how folk thought at the time and that's that's kind of priceless you know mm. so yeah we probably have rambled enough hopefully Alec that answers your question give us another one soon indeed speaking of letters and emails you can email us at the earth2podcast at gmail.com and let us know what you thought of any of these episodes we've done this year or indeed anything at all yes please do make sure you follow us on social media because as David has pointed out we've posted tons of stuff on it this year and it's all there all there still there for you to view and check out if anything we've said piqued your interest then have a look because that's what we do it for on Facebook and Instagram we're at the Earth 2 Podcast and at Twitter we're at podcast underscore Earth 2 and it's the number 2 for all our social media it certainly is and if you're feeling generous at this time of year you could go to wherever it is you receive your podcasts give us a positive review that'd be nice or tell your friends spread the love if you know anyone else that likes a laugh or a good podcast or likes comics or likes having a story told let them know about us and maybe you'll end up doing one of the voices with us you never know stranger things have happened that horse becoming Pope. Yeah, but it's true though. Like, you know, we've over the last couple of years we've built relationships with fellow podcasters and some of our listeners, which you know has obviously led to Chuck Voice and Green Arrow Forest, led to Max and Rich and everyone else getting involved. And it's good. It's nice to feel part of that community. And I felt a bit more this year like we weren't just shouting into the void a little bit. Yes, it's good. It feels like we're kind of we're, we're on the road. But where are we now? It, this is our fourth calendar year that we've been releasing. Mm-hmm. And we're at the tail end of 1973. (laughs) How did that happen? And we've got to get to 1986. So let's check in this time next year and see where we've got to. Mm. (laughs) On that bombshell. On that bombshell. I've been Peter. I've been David's compliments of the season, everyone. We'll see you soon on The The Earth Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime.